I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. We got an all-star, another all-star here, Robbie. I mean, this, this guy is uh, just, just, a, just an amazing entrepreneur in the world of finance, you know, the financial world, investment world, and helping people, you know, really reach their dreams, helping, uh, you know, business people, small business people, as well as large, really, you know, reach their dreams and their lives by help, you know, helping them you know, put their money in the right places and, and advising uh, some, some uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's got, he's got opp- opportunities to understand entrepreneurship better than any of us because he's in front of entrepreneurs every day, helping them invest their money, helping them uh, protect their investments and all that. So uh, I, I've got many friends that are, that are invested in, uh, in Brent and his company. And they rave about about his service. They rave about his knowledge and, and what they, what that his business delivers every day to their to their 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 long you know hard earned dollars, right? So uh, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot out of this podcast. I'm excited as heck. Brent Bradesti, welcome, baby. Thanks for having me, Gary. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks a lot for being on. I know I talked to you about this before. It's hard. To, you're a busy guy. Hard to get you nailed down, but I'm, I'm uh, happy to get you on. And uh, uh, you're you're going to be a, uh, a wealth of information to old guys like me and young guys like Robbie in the, in the world today, and, ga- and gals uh, like you know that that are looking for you know the, that uh, the edge in their industry. And then also you know you know what do you do with your money when you earn a little bit of money, right? What do you do to, to invest it, or what do you do to protect it, or or make it work for you. So, so that's what we're here to talk to you today about. And uh, uh, we'll, we usually start from the beginning, uh, Brent. You know, we don't we don't we don't want to just hear your business story, which is you, you've got a great one. We want to hear about Brent and uh, your upbringing, where you where you came from. And I, I know a little bit about it, and I know it's a great story. Uh, your family, uh, your, you know, your wife now, your friends now, your your uh, your, your family, your kids now. We like to know about the, the family background, and then uh, get into the business and the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial brain of uh, Brent Burdesky. So uh, fire up, buddy! Start out with that that uh, family and uh, growing up in that in the beautiful metropolis of Rockford, Illinois. Yeah, no, I uh, born and raised out in Rockford, Illinois, out in the sticks of Chicago, if you will. Uh, you know, it's uh, um, kind of the only place that I've ever been. Then figure I'd stay there long run, but I have, and you know, it's worked out great. Um, 
who's the oldest of uh, six children, uh, my uh, you know mother Sharon and father Ray, uh, you know, <clears throat> strong Catholics, and uh, we we grew up in a in a um, very devoted Catholic family, uh, daily mass and daily novenas, and um, you know just a very uh, very solid solid family that. Uh, you know, kind of put God in the, the, the center center of life. Um, you know, I was, um, as I said, the oldest of, of six children. I, I, I've got, I had uh, um, two additional brothers and three three sisters, one sister who passed away in high school. Um, but, uh, but all the rest are, are um, you know, have families and have, have done well. It's, it's kind of interesting. I, uh, I was the first... Uh, college graduate in our family. So um, neither of my parents uh, got degrees. They both uh, took a few courses here and there, um, but, uh, but we're kind of old school and, you know, you know, uh, you know learned on the job and, uh, but, um, but always, um, you know, aspire to have their, their children, you know, all become college graduates and, and uh, uh, they have. Uh, I was the first, and uh, you know most of most of their kids all you know ended up with uh, various advanced degrees. Um, what's kind of interesting is that uh, you know, I ended up being a financial advisor, counseling people on their money. Um, you know my uh, my brother you know ended up a priest, so counseling people on their soul. Uh, my sister ended up being a drug counselor. Um, my brother, graphic designer, and sort of a brand consultant, working with people. And then uh, my youngest sister was a college counselor. So it's, it's kind of odd. We all ended up being advisors in one form or another. Um, and uh, so that, that's been an interesting, I, you know, my mom always, you know, thought of herself as kind of a do-it-yourself shrink and like to get to people's soul. And so I'm not sure if that just sort of rubbed off on us all. But uh, uh, you know, none of us make things. We're all really uh, – you know, in the business in one form or another of, of you know, helping people, um, you know, create their ideal future, whether that's through education or their soul or, in my case, their, their, their money and, you know, and so on. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know I, I went to NIU, Northern Illinois University. It's, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, I did community college for a couple of years. You know, that was a, that was a stretch to be able to afford that, frankly. Um, but... Uh, you know, parents helped out, you know, did a lot of, you know, a lot of odd jobs over the years and was an entrepreneur from early on. I remember I, my first entrepreneur experience was at, uh, at age four, you know, when I convinced my dad to buy a bag of circus peanuts, those orange peanuts, and then I put them in little baggies and gave them to him to take to work and sell at a markup. Uh, he just gave me some money and probably didn't actually go peddle those, but I didn't know any different. And, and then along the way, I, of course, I had paper routes. I, uh, I, I started a, a t-shirt business, um, selling t-shirts in, in school. I, um, I just did a variety of things. I always kind of had this, you know, thing about, you know, making money and, you know, kind of getting creative. And, and so it just sort of stuck. I mean, I guess that's kind of hardwired to this day. Um, you know, I, I, I came, uh, I, you know, I, I finished my undergrad in finance and economics and was, was afraid to get a real job, so I, I started did my MBA right away and, and did that, and then I started getting various degrees or other financial designations, and 
Um, did all that before I got married. Um, and, um, you know, frankly, I kind of learned that, you know, the education was important, but it was as much about, you know, just being confident. Um, I, I kept doing that because I, I, early on, I don't, I wasn't confident to go in the real world. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of an introvert, you know, or I thought I was in retrospect, I, I'm actually an extrovert. I just didn't know how to be extroverted. So I think the, the, you know, going to school and, you know, getting all the letters after the names, you know, frankly, that provided uh, me the confidence necessary to, you know, to then, you know, to, to go out and, you know, help people and, you know, advise people. Hey, wait, Brent, did you say that you were an introvert and you, you became an extrovert? Well, I think in retrospect, I, I've always been an extrovert. I just didn't know how to do it. You know, I was the guy at college that didn't know how to go talk to women, right? You know, but I like being around people. I like going to parties. I like, you know, the energy of being out in public again. It was just awkward, right? Just didn't, just didn't really know how to do it, right? And yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, you could take all these different psychological tests. Clearly, I'm an extrovert, and I've, I've kind of learned how to do that. I'm actually, you know, good at sales. I'm good at, at people. But um, but that wasn't necessarily apparent. I mean, you know, growing up through school, high school, grade school, even college, I was kind of like one of those quiet kids. You know, somebody that didn't necessarily want to be quiet, but, you know, was, was – you know, you know, afraid to walk up to girls in the bar. I was, I would have been the furthest thing from, uh, you, uh -huh. know, uh, you know, a, a ladies' man uh, along the way. But uh, <laughs> not with that desire. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Yeah, you think of people that are, you know, a little shy about, you know, jumping in the conversation or are introvert, right? But, but you know, I know, I know you as an amazing uh, relationship builder and a. You know, from the time I've known you, right, for the last 15 years or 20, whatever, 15, 16 years I've known you, uh, you're, you're, uh, you love people and, you, and, and people love you because you're engaging, right? And, but at one point in your life, that wasn't you. That's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it just got unlocked at some point in time. And, uh, um, you know, being the business we're in, you know, advising people, I, you know, one of the things um, I've come to realize is, you know, you, you know, now as I'm getting older, I've gotten more peers as clients, but early on, you know, you, you know, people my age didn't have any money, right? So, uh, so you tended to have clients that were 10 or 15 years older. And, and so I think that was part of it. You know, you, you got to, you know, learn how to build relationships with, you know, people that were older than you. And, you know, I saw that, um, you know, kind of won over people's confidence. And, uh, you know, and then I think, you know, it, it became a lot more, more comfortable, uh, you know, to, to get out of my skin and, you know, sell and, you know, promote. And, you know, I think part of it is, you know, you know, as an entrepreneur, you got all these ideas in your head, you got, you know, concepts. And, and so I think you, 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 you know, the, the, the goal of, of putting your ideas out there and being able to communicate them and getting people excited about them, um, you know, that, that, um, you, know, you do that and it gives you energy back and it creates some success and you do it more, you know, when it's on repeat. Awesome. And, and, uh, and when you, uh, you know, when you, when you got this business, Brent, I mean, as a young man, what, who, who are the mentors that, that, uh, you know, your mom and dad on the, on the, you know, they seem like they're the nurturing or the, the advising type of people or the, you know, they're, they're always, they, they probably funk, they were thinkers, right? So they thought they, they were able to think through issues no matter what they were probably and, and, and mentored you guys on, 
getting through things on your own and, and all that. And then and they consulted you probably really well. So you guys liked that somehow and all became kind of consultive minds, right? Yeah. Who are who are your mentors? Uh, you know, as a young man to get into this business and uh, and they grow like you did. You know, I met you. You're a young guy and already built a, a, a large a large business. You've gone further now, and 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 uh, really, you know, this thing is just you know blown up as far as your business, and it's a uh, you know dominant in the in the Midwest and probably in the country now. But tell 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 us about uh, you know mentors that gave you that the confidence. I mean, confidence communicates great, right? But the confidence to jump in and 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 risk everything you got to to buy into a business, and then and then buy out like you just recently did, buy out your partners and, and do the things you've done. Who, who gave you the confidence in entrepreneurship and, and, uh, and leadership as, as you have today? So I've had a lot of mentors over the year. That's one of the things I attribute my success to. And now I've kind of learned, you know, you, different stages, you have different mentors and, you know, you, you kind of download as much as you can. And, and then, and then, you know, you, you know, kind of mentors sort of fall off and you add new. Uh, I, I would say when I was uh, at school, there was one professor in particular that, you know, coached me on, uh, it was, it was a, a business plan course, you know, and, and it was sort of a, a self-study and, um, yeah, you know, I, I actually wrote the business plan for Savant and, and, you know, he was somebody that was a sounding board and, you know, I, I had worked in a, a small broker dealer, very small financial services firm as an intern over the summer and got some ideas there, but then working with this professor, he, he provided ideas and it was sort of the, the melding of academia, you know, uh, with a little bit of real world along with entrepreneurial and uh, literally built the business plan for Savant while I was during working on my MBA. Um, I ended up, and so, so I would say that was in the world of academia, he was kind of my, my first mentor. Then, you know, my first boss uh, was, again, this, this firm that uh, uh, was a small broker dealer. When I say small, I was literally the financial planning, the compliance, the technology, <laughs> marketing, and the accounting departments. And, and I started all this as an intern. Uh, literally, um, his 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 uh, secretary taught me how to do T accounting. This was before I had my CPA. I really didn't know what I was doing, but they hired me to be their accountant for the summer. Funny. So, um, so any while while I was there, I. I um, you know, again, that was a lot of the inspiration. Some of the things I learned there was the inspiration for this business plan. And uh, George had wanted me to stay on, you know, when I, when I graduated from MBA. And he's like, well, he's like, but I don't know what to tell you to do. So, you know, I said, well, okay, I, you know, I can kind of help, you know, bring some more sophistication to your marketing. And I can continue to do the accounting. And I can, you know, I, wow, there's this Lotus 1, 2, 3, so the predecessor to Excel and Wow, you know, you're doing financial planning on yellow pads. I, I could actually put some of that spreadsheets and create models. Um, okay, I could do all this different stuff, but what I really want to do is I want to do this business plan. So you know, I want to go into business with you. You know, and, and you can own 51 percent, I own 49. You know, I just need 5,000 bucks and a little bit of your time. You know, and I'll do all these other things for you, but I, I want to be able to carve out time to you know build this, this other business within the business. And so a lot, you know, we agreed to do that. Well, we were about a year and a half in, and I learned a ton, by the way. You know, one of the, 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 the things I did right, but I also turned out to be, it ended up getting me fired, was, you know, when I came out, you know, he's like, hey, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour, you know, with some upside tied to, 
you helping supercharge our business from a sales perspective, or I'll pay you, you know, 15 bucks an hour, but no upside. I'm like, I'll take that 10 bucks an hour, you know, with the upside. And, you know, year and a half in, you know, my, my compensation went from 20 grand to, you know, over 60 grand. Just totally supercharged. I mean, I'd like put this on a treadmill, going out and doing marketing and seminars and doing, and just like that, we were blowing it out. Well, you know, he, uh, so, so we're a year and a half in, you know, my income went up a bunch, you know, did all this crazy stuff with his business. And, um, you know, what, what, what happened was I, I, I'm like, listen, you know, we were going to do this business plan together. And I mean, that's why I came here. And, and so I pushed a little too hard one day at the same time. He's like, you know, Brent's comp went from, 20 grand a year to over 60, I'm overpaying him and he's pushing me too hard and I'm tired. I don't want to work this hard. And so he finally, and his, his kid also needed a job. He had been fired three times in a short period of time, maybe it was two times, and needed a job. So just like that, guess what? The kid was in and I was out. And I was devastated. I, you know, I was devastated. Like, you know, and it turned out to be a real blessing in disguise. Um, you know, and yeah, but at the time it didn't feel that way. I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go look for a job, and I went knocking on doors, and nobody gave me a job. So nobody gave me a job. You know, I just you know had this job I was loving, I was making money, and I had this business plan. So so finally, I you know I had nothing to lose, frankly. And uh, and by the way, your question was about mentorship. You know, the the person I worked for, you know, I, I did. You know, I, I ended up becoming friends with him again many years later, but I, I didn't like him for the longest time. But he was great. I mean, I learned so much from him, you know, and, and frankly, I learned, you know, what was what this opportunity was. And um, but I but so but but he fired me. So I, I take my, my business plan. I start knocking on doors. I ended up meeting, um, you know, Tom, who is my, my co-founder of Savant. Uh, he had 15 years, uh, my senior and sold insurance and had been doing this like fee only financial planning, not managing money, but just sort of write prescriptions for people. And that was a hard business. Um, so I, I ended up getting introduced to him through a family connection and said, Hey, I got this business plan. What do you think about doing this with me? You keep doing what you're doing to pay your bills. We'll do this together. And so that was, that was in 19 and in 1992 and uh, took that business plan. Um, Built it out, took about six months to really, you know, lay the foundation. And uh, April in 1993 was when we got our first client and, uh, you know, started growing it from there. Okay, so I got a couple of questions to go backwards a little bit. You know, I, I, there's so many lessons here, Robbie, and I know you're, you're a astute listener to this, this mindset that Brent has, right? But how cool is it when, this, when Brent, you look at Brent today, if you, if you took your – if you took your boat up to Brent's pier like I do every time I'm up there. And sometimes I wake him up in the morning. Sometimes I'm yelling at him and, you know, when he's going to bed at night. And I go up to the, I, I take my boat up to the pier and the first thing I tell is, yo, Brent! Brent! Jared! I'm sure I'm waking up the neighbors in the morning or, you know, people are getting pissed at my, uh, my screaming and stuff. My wife is always saying, Gary, leave them alone again. You're already bugging today. You know, Brent, Brent isn't, you know, Brent can't come out every minute. Well, sure enough, every time Brent comes out, whether he's using his underwear or bathing suit or whatever, Brent comes out to see us at the pier every time. Okay, but if, if I'm a kid looking at Brent's beautiful home on Lake Geneva, one of his homes, right, on Lake Geneva, it's an amazing place, right? And uh, I'm, I'm probably thinking, where did this son of a gun get all this, this dough to be able to afford this beautiful place? You know, he's probably just had it handed to him, right? 
I mean, that's, nobody can just uh, you know plop a, a house like this on a beautiful lot and 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 hand, hand, hand it to him or gotten really lucky, right? But here, I can guarantee you, I know Brent's story that this son of a gun, if you listen to what what, what happened, worked for less than 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 what he could make, knowing that there's some opportunity in that first job, and 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 pushing the envelope a bit to that first that first partner, right? Got got your ass fired, but. In the long run, all good news because that person probably wasn't the right fit for, for you to be a partner with or give you the latitude that your next partner gave you. I'm guessing, all right. But 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 more more importantly is is you know one of the one of the biggest traits of a winner is is somebody that's always looking to 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 deliver more than they're paid for, right? So in my opinion, anybody that's that's got a clock in their head about how much they're making and always says, "Gosh, I got to be worth more than that. I got to deliver more." Than I'm being paid for, and and that was your mindset then, Brent. And I know for sure that's your mindset still today as a very successful uh, uh, leader in your space. I, I know you well. That's your mindset still today. And and Robbie is like Robbie is the same way. I, I, I you know Robbie we we uh, recruited Robbie when you know he didn't have to come to work for a hillbilly outfit like the Rayvine Group, right? He did because he, he saw opportunity, right? He could, could have made more money somewhere else, most likely. Um, Robbie is like you, a mind that's always thinking about how he can be worth more than he's paid for. And, and again, that's a lesson I think that's huge. It's a, it's a trait that if you got it, you'll be successful your whole life. If you continue that mentality of, hey, man, what am I making? And am I worth that or more to my, my partner, my boss, my, my customers, right? And if you, if you can answer that question is yes every day, man, your value is going to be crazy. Robbie, uh, chime in on that for me, will you, buddy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, Brent, I haven't had a chance to say thanks for joining today. Uh, so yeah. appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree. So a little bit of context here was that I was working at uh, LinkedIn for four years prior to joining Site Technologies, which was one of the startups that Gary and Austin and Olivia had actually founded about three or three and a half years ago now. And I was at that point in my career where I realized, to me, what's more, most important is ultimately assuming a leadership role and helping to understand what it takes to motivate others around you. And I do think that an element of that comes down to always operating under the uh, assumption that you really can do more than your role for the organization. And ultimately, through that process, you up-level the entire group that surrounds you. Uh, and everyone becomes more motivated as a result of that. And ultimately you accomplish your goals faster and you can set new goals faster. Uh, so I, it's interesting to me that obviously you have that foundation and part of that to me maybe comes from your upbringing and you always being raised in this advisory type of uh, context, uh, especially being surrounded with five other siblings and you being the oldest and having to lead that group just through your, your younger years. Uh, the part that is really, really interesting to me that I'd be curious to understand a little bit more specifics around would be that transition from introvert to extrovert, I think in a lot of individuals' minds would be an ideal state, uh, but they don't understand how to make that transition. And obviously, I understand you, you mentioned that uh, you started working with individuals that were 10 to 15 years older and you, over time, you gained more confidence. Uh, but I do think confidence can be sometimes... Uh, almost a, a competitive advantage against some of your peers in the space. But uh, from your perspective, are there specifics that maybe a listener on the podcast would be able to gather from you 
uh, how to make that transition or what it is in inside you. Maybe it's a, a quiet voice for the majority of your life that you finally just let out or uh, I guess curious to just understand more about that. Yeah, I, I think preparation plays into this. I mean, in my case, I, again, I was, you know, born into this sort of lower middle class family that worked really hard, but didn't really have, you know, again, I, as a first college graduate. So, I, you know, I, a lot of it was just, you know, gaining confidence by preparing, you know, initially, you know, getting an undergraduate degree. That doesn't really teach you anything. So like, all right, well, I'm still not confident. I'm going to get my MBA. And then you know, I got my CFP and my CPA. I mean, I, you know, at some point it's like, all right, I got to get, get in the real world. But, but the gist of it was like, like coming into my uh, financial advisory, like I said, typically like clients tend to be older than you because again, people your own age don't have any money. So you, you need to work with older people, you know? So part of it was like, in my case, it was, Gaining the, the, the degrees, gaining the ability to, uh, you know, convey ideas to them that they didn't have, even though they were older than me. I mean, one of, one of the things I, I, I tell some of our younger advisors nowadays, and it's one of the things I've learned through School of Hard Knocks, is, is you don't have to have all the answers, okay, but you need to be confident and, and authentic and honest. So, in other words, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and they ask me a question, and it's a question either I don't know or I don't even understand, it's okay to say, you know, I don't know that as long as but, but I'll find out for you. And so I used to think, like, I had to have all the answers. No, you don't. You just need to you become, you know, know a little bit more than the person you're talking to, and that's the subject matter area. You, you need to be authentic, um, you, and you need to be confident and willing to go do whatever preparation is necessary, whether that's researching something or finding a resource that, that is able to address the need. You know, you know, Gary, you talked about creating value, and I think there's so much to that. If we, if we don't think about what's in it for us, how much am I going to make, you know, or what's my profit going to be, but rather say, how do I maximize the value? And you think of this in the context of like of a pie. Okay, create a really big pie, a really big cherry pie. Now, the good news is if you can, you know, and that pie represents the value that you're confidently creating for others. And, and the beauty of it is, is if you make a big enough pie, create enough value, you can deliver more value to your client than they're going to pay you. Furthermore, you, you can benefit. You can have some of the pie. Furthermore, the company that you're working with, you know, can have some left over. So, so the whole thing is, is create enough value so that everybody, you know, you as a you know, you know, team member, your client who is, you know, paying you for a service or product, and the company for whom you're, you're part of, you know, all, all benefit. And in the long run, if you, you maximize value and, and everybody wins. Yep. And that, that's sustainable, you know, and that's something you can be proud of. That's something you can be confident in. You're not a charlatan. So, so I think that's really, that's what it's about. It, it's, it's creating more so that everybody gets their share and everybody's, you know, full. <laughs> 100%. I love it. I love it. You know, create, create a big enough pie and a, and a, and a uh, 
a tasty enough pie that customers says, man, I got to get more of that pie, right? I, how, do I, how do I get more of that, right? From, from my, my, my partner, you know, Brent and Savant or whatever. And, and, I, and I love it. I, I, I agree with it 100%. I mean, our, our goal is always looking at the long term for our customers at every business we have, not, not the short term, right? I mean, we need to survive and make a profit, of course. But man, if you're just thinking about that, that's a problem. And in young, in young business people, it's kind of tough, right? When I started my business, I had to make money or I didn't survive the next week because I couldn't make payroll. If I, if I lost money on, on, on some big jobs over the course of a couple of weeks, man, I, I might not be in business a month from that time, right? So, so it, you, I kind of got focused as a young guy on, man, I got to make a profit. I got to make sure my gross margin is enough to cover, recover my overhead and the net margin is enough. To, to, to continue on to buy equipment and do all these things I need to do for my business, right? And, and so, you, so there's a time, I think, for the first 10, 15 years of my, my businesses, right, where I, I wasn't focused on the long term as much as the short term, right? Job by job, week by week, month by month. And, and I, I think if I would have focused more like I have the last, let's say, 15, 20 years where we, you know, we definitely say, how do we make sure that customer feels value? How do we make sure that that cust- customer, you know, really can't get any, a better a better partner in the space we're representing, right? Whether it's paving and roofing and all the things we do, how do we make sure our customer says, wow, that's value, right? And nowadays we, we, we focus on that first. And I, I can guarantee you, um, you know, we, we're building way better relationships now than we ever have because we can, we can do that every day. And, and I, think, I think from the beginning, we could have done that as long as you're, you, have, you, have to have a, you have to have your eye on that gross margin and your overhead and your profit, of course, right? Because you need to be lean and mean for your customer. Um, but, but boy, uh, when you can focus on just relationship building, but with, but, um, and like, as you mentioned before, that consultative nature of your business and what you do, the consultative nature of what we do in every business is, is for the, it's, it's always for the best interest of the customer first. If you can do that every day, man, you're going to grow your business in it and have a great time doing it. Uh, you know, you, you guys continue to grow. It's crazy to see your growth and what, what you guys have been doing the last, you know, since I've known you 15 years. Um, when, when you think about, you think about growth, Brent, tell me about, tell, me, tell us about that. Tell us about, you know, where you are when you, when you found that partner, maybe you mentioned his name because I know he became a mentor of yours. He's still a great friend of yours today. Um, and, and talk about, talk about where you were then when you, I think that was still a pretty, really small business, right? You jumped into, he gave the opportunity uh, to partner with him, I think, right, right away. And then uh, and where you've gone and where you're at today compared to Yeah, so, uh, you know, at that time, uh, Tom uh, was, um, again, had this, you know, financial planning business. So he, he really, he was writing prescriptions for people, sending them on their way. The challenge was, you know, just like you can go to the doctor and get a prescription and you never fill your prescription, you know, or you never go back and, you know, get it updated, you know, that, that it, it wasn't really working well. It was a great theory, but it wasn't getting implemented. The, the, the business plan I had was to, for the pharmacy. It's like, all right, we can actually manage the investments. You know, we, we can actually build portfolios, report on them, you know, and, and fill those prescriptions. And, and so we, that, we set up a separate business. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, Tom contributed $5,000. I contributed $5,000 worth of computer equipment. That was what we found <laughs> the business on. That's the last time I put money into the business. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, and, and really at that point, uh, you know, I, he had the field, think of the oil field. And he had all, you know, he was in the insurance business and then he did these financial plans. So he, he had gray hair, so he knew people. I did everything else. 
You know, and that was the gist of it. So I had the rig, he had the field. And, and that was great because, you know, he, he wasn't, he, you know, it, there was synergy between our skill sets. And, and we, between the two of us, we could create more value than either one of us individually were able to. And, and so we did that, um, and uh, we went along for a while. Uh, we kind of got to an inflection point then where, um, frankly, we needed more sales, you know, and we had the platform, the rig, if you will, already figured out. So he prodded me to get out there and sell as well, and we realized, all right, you know, the rig is good enough. We don't need to even better refine the oil rig. We just need to tap into more you know, oil. So I, you know, you know, I did a 180 and again, this was a point where the introvert in me still was anxious. Well, I got to go sell because if I knew I had to, you know, sell, I never would have gotten into this business. I never would have started this business. But the, 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 the fear of, of failing or not growing exceeded, you know, the fear of going out there and, you know, telling the whole world. So, you know, I, I did a 180 and I, I started, you know, trying everything I could. Anybody, anywhere I could speak, anywhere I could network, you know, anybody that had money. I mean, I, I was knocking on doors and, and, um, and, it, and it worked. And, um, you know, in, in fairly short order, you know, start selling like crazy and start bringing in a lot more customers. So now we had, it's kind of like two general practitioners that shared office space. And then we had this kind of common investment platform but he kind of did things his way. I did my way. And we kind of had a common back office, if you will. Um, it was still pretty dysfunctional, though, because you know, I never had it. I really never had a real job, you know, and he never really had a real job. Both of us were sort of gunslinger entrepreneurs that just made stuff up as we went. And, you know, you're, you'll appreciate that. You're, you know, entrepreneur extreme. You make stuff up, ready, fire, aim, right? And, uh, you know, but we also then realized this gets to about 1998, you know, we were a few years in, we needed structure, you know, we needed process, we needed systems. And as we found Dick Bennett was the third leg to the stool, because it was kind of like a stool with two legs. It gets pretty tired, tiring, trying to balance all the time with just two legs. Dick uh, had run a, the time scene massive of a $400 million trust company, you know, bank, came from the banking world. And um, he, he got tired in literally in five years, the name of the bank changed four times. And every time they did that, they kept pushing new proprietary products. And, you know, he, I remember Dick saying, you know, the trust is out of trust because he was in the trust department business. He's like, you're not trustworthy anymore. I can't do this anymore. And, and, and so we ended up recruiting him and he became a, a third partner, third founder, if you will. But he brought some structure. He came from a banking world. He had worked for real companies with real systems and more evolved compliance and so on. So that was that was helpful. Uh, it was also the tiebreaker. You know, Tom and I oftentimes we were different. You know, that made us good together, but it also made it tough sometimes. So Dick became sort of the third leg on the stool, tiebreaker. Um, you know, what also allowed you know then you know Tom to really just focus on clients. I, I kind of was able to manage the money but focus on clients and then Dick really you know helped me create some structure and professional management within the business uh, that was uh, about that that took us through about 2001 right and and when Dick joined us we were 113 million that we managed um, about 2001 what we, we realized now is there's three of us that are like on the front lines and there were like three general practitioners 
you know, again, get all kind of doing our own thing, you know, certain things in common. Um, but we were getting more and more calls and questions. And sometimes I didn't even understand the questions, let alone have the answers. And, and we were getting really busy. And we realized, listen, one of, we either got to do one of two things. We either got to blow this out and grow it, you know, scale it, you know, hire a bunch of people. Or we got to, like, close our doors and have a nice lifestyle business. Now, I, I can't, just like you, I mean, you, you, you couldn't just close your doors and have a little lifestyle <laughs> business. It's not in your DNA, right? Um, not, mine neither, right? So we, we decided to, to grow it. We, and we, we actually looked to the Mayo Clinic. I've never been there happily. But my understanding is there's two things special about Mayo Clinic. One, they hire some of the world's best specialists. Um, but more importantly, they work as a team. They have a collaborative process to where they put those specialist doctors together and they tend to diagnose better and come up with better treatment plans by working on a collaborative team basis. So we, we sort of modeled that our savant at that point. Instead of having like three generalists, you know, we said, let's start hiring specialists. That's what we did, you know, for the next 10 years, you know, we hired specialists and and really, it wasn't about, it wasn't Brodesky, Muldowney, and Bennett on the door. It was spot. We wanted this to be bigger than any of us. So it wasn't about individual egos. It wasn't about our individual brands. It was about building something that created, again, getting back to that pie, the possible pie, you know, and creating great value for our clients, creating great value increasingly for our team because, you know, what, what we realized at some point, it's like, hey, you know, we, you know, our team are frankly more important than our clients. Why? Because if we take care of our team, our team are going to take care of our clients. And there was only so many clients that the three founders could handle. So increasingly, you know, that they were on the front lines. And, and so we, we, uh, we built this, you know, great teamwork approach to, you know, creating value and, and building, building a brand. Um, when you, think, when you think of the uh, subject matter experts you, you had to surround yourself with, Brent, tell, tell us about, uh, you know, was it, was it customer-focused, uh, customer-centric uh, uh, experts, basically, that, that could focus on certain individual t customers or certain groups of customers, or was it, was it back-office expertise? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it was all the above, but, but when, I, when I think specialists, it tends to be more subject matter. Um, you know, we needed a lot of people backstage to, 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 to handle all the operations and technology and systems accounting as well. But where most of the advisors just focused on investments, like picking stocks or picking mutual funds, and really didn't do much more. I mean, they're kind of just moving commodities around, but charging a premium price for that. We realized that, you know, the... You know, the investments are just like gas in the tank. Yes, it's important, but it's not even the car that's, it's not the gas that's important. The gas is a means to make the car move, and the car is a means to get you where you want to go. Sure. Right? So, like, what we realized early on um, was that it wasn't about the investments, you know, or the gas, nor the car, nor the, you know, the portfolios, it was about creating ideal futures for clients. It was about helping our clients say, what's important to you? What are your values? What are your priorities? What do you care about? What matters to you? And if you start out with that end in mind, this is, you know, for a given client or family, 
This is what they care about. This is what matters. You get clear around that. Then it's a matter, yes, you need gas in the tank and you need the car to get there, you know, to, to navigate through all the complexity to get to the destination, which is the client's ideal future. So, so as, as uh, Simon uh, Sinek would say, right, you know, what's their why? If you can figure out the why, what, you know, what, what, what do they want in the, in the long run? What do they want to, you know, solve? What problems they want to solve in their life, right? Where they want their, what, what problems they want their finance, their money to solve, right, in their life going forward? If you can figure the why out, then you can, you can figure out the best means of investing their money, huh? You start out, okay, this is, you know, this is what we aspire to. You know, we, we want to accomplish this. We want to instill these values in our family. We want to leave you know, resources, you know, to charity, to my, my kids, um, you know, get, you know, helping, what we learn is that if we could help, you know, our clients get clear around their definition of success, you know, what will give them peace of mind. Now we've got that destination. Okay, so now the subject matter experts are like, all right, how are the different routes to get there? Because there's tax complexities. I mean, we need to navigate through this complex tax code that keeps changing. There are estate planning complexities, like, all right, how do I, you know, leave, you know, my assets to my children? How do I leave assets optimally to, to charity? You know, there are insurance needs, because like, listen, things, bad things happen. I could get hit by a bus. How do I make sure that my kids can still go to school if I'm not around to support them? You know, there are, you know, of course, investment needs. There are, you know, trust needs. There's, 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 there's all these different component parts, you know, to get to your ideal future. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, which, again, we needed these expert subject matter experts to help navigate through these. Um, we, we think about it as, you know, there's like 10 different core areas of uh, key areas, you know, of creating an ideal future, you know, that range from retirement to education for business owners, business succession planning, philanthropy, taxes, you know, debt management, and so by building out a team of experts in all those areas, you know, the, the, the client who has an advisor is sort of like that general practitioner. I think to go back to Mayo's, it's that, that doctor that is sort of, they're managing their case, but that doctor can go and talk to all these other experts and, you sure. know, back with that ultimate treatment plan. Now, the client doesn't necessarily want to have to interact with all those doctors, you know, they want to have, you know, their doctor who's on the front lines for them. Um, but that doctor, you know, is, you know, like in our world, they tend to be more generalists that are able to, you know, leverage all the, you know, deep subject matter experts backstage to sure. simplify life and to make sure that we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's and pushing all the right buttons. So you, so you basically, basically – But it, it gives it a better chance of getting – your, our clients to that ideal future. So, so you basically set that your, your customer up, and I and I and I know a little bit about how you do this. It's awesome that with, with that with with that relationship, that person that that owns the relationship understands all that, a lot of aspects of your business, a little bit about all of them, but then has has the tools and the, and the experts they can pull whenever they need them for that 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 partner, that that customer partner, right? And uh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I know I, I've experienced a little of your business, and it's, it is awesome how you guys do that. Is it because I've got different needs than somebody else, and and that 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 coach that you put in place for me, right, understands how you know what what you know what my goals are. Where the subject matter expert 
doesn't have to, right? They, they just have to understand on, on their side, uh, you know, how, how to maximize, uh, you know, their expert uh, expertise to make my portfolio better. Right? For, the, for the coach, your guy, your guy or girl, that's the coach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we get over 200 employees now, uh, but 65 of those are, again, those front end relationship managers, advisors, you know, whose job is to get and convey, you know, wisdom, but they're tapping into the investment and technical specialists, tax specialists, business succession specialists, estate planning, uh, trust specialists. So they've got, you know, those 65 that are kind of like the general practitioners, that family doctor of sorts that works with each client, gets to know their needs, their desires, you know, you do the annual checkup, if you will, on their, all aspects of their finances, but then are able to delegate things, you know, to, you know, to those specialists, but also, you know, leverage all the support. So, you know, there, there's, again, if we got 200 employees and 65 on the front lines, that means, you know, there, there's a, a large level of support for those advisors, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's, you know, nobody wants to go to the, the, the doctor, right? But, but, you know, general practitioner, no problem. You, you know, share whatever with them. He's not usually the guy giving you the colonoscopy, but, uh, but, but, you know, you're, you're, you can find him and, and you listen to him if he tells you you got to get it. Right. So you've got that, that, yeah. Then you got, you've got the specialists that, that do the colonoscopies that really dig in probably right to, to, to each person's, uh, you know, uh, um, inner thoughts, right. And, and, and where they should go with all their, their stuff. But I, I love it. I, and I, and I know, um, I mean, I know why you're successful, and it's fun. Now that that's a huge business in this space. You know, I, I know other people in this space, and hey, they got ten or twenty people. That's a pretty good sized firm, right? You guys are over two hundred people now. Um, one of the biggest in the in the in the Midwest, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah. And you and you continue to grow. I mean, when you when you grow, is it uh, how do you how do you grow in a way with you know to to get to you know from a couple people in your team to 200 people on your team and 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 you'll continue i know how, how do you grow because you, you've got a great environment and, and, and uh, a great culture in your business how, how do you continue to grow and, and maintain a, a strong culture that you guys have yeah so it, it, it's balanced historically until 2012 we literally grew organically one client at a time and uh, until about 12 years ago, it was mostly Rockford-centric, right? And then, and then we said, well, let's kind of go Greenfield. And, you know, we opened an office in St. Charles, Geneva. We opened one in, in Madison, Wisconsin. A few years later, we did one in Peoria. And those were all Greenfield. And uh, they were all successful. Um, but we came to realize that that's really hard. It's, it's purely growing organically at a client at a time. It becomes limiting. Like you can't just drop into Chicago and plant a flag and people show up. I mean, you, you need some critical mass there. And, and while we've been successful starting from scratch in, in a few cases, it takes a long time and it's very hard. Um, the other part is, as we know that the talent is, you know, top talent is that shortage. You know I mean? Uh, you know, pre-postemic, I mean, we had record unemployment rates, particularly in, you know, professional services and, you know, people, you know, with, with uh, deep education. And so we, we came to realize just growing our own talent, it was hard. And moving into new geography, Greenfield was really hard. And, mm -hmm. and so in 2012, we did our first acquisition. Now, I hate the term M&A 
Because M&A makes it sound like somebody's gobbling up somebody else. Yeah. In a lot of cases, that's what it is. But I, I have no interest in that. I have no interest in just buying clients and then having whoever I buy from go to the beach, right? You know, that's not my interest. Rather, what we realized was is, you know, to, to move into new geographies or to build density in existing geographies, the best people oftentimes are not available. So, yeah. you know, how, how, how have we been solving for that? Well, we're like most recently, you know, we, we uh, partnered with a firm called Huber Financial. And, you know, we were over seven billion. They were a billion six. You know, we were in, in Chicago. We were about a billion five in Chicago land. They were about a billion six. A billion five sounds like a lot, but when you're talking Chicago, Chicago's huge, right? So that's like a drop in the ocean. Um, and so we realized, like, just adding a count at a time is going to take too long to get density to be able to really build a brand and become a role player in Chicago. So that was an example where we, we found, um, you know, a firm who weren't looking to just retire and go to the beach. Rather, they, they realized that they want to be part of something bigger and that we had a shared vision and that they could jump, they could leverage a lot of our people, process, and technology, things that we already had that they were just contemplating. We mm-hmm. could double down in Chicago and in one fell swoop have twice the client base, have twice the team, be able to therefore invest more in, in marketing and branding and you know have you know more locations from which to serve our clients. So, so we actually closed that just a, a couple months ago, and it's, it's off the races. But that was actually our ninth time we've done that. That was our biggest. But we've done that on, um, on eight other occasions as well. But, but the difference is it's, it's really we, – we do this uh, – we, we do M&A as a way to move into new markets, increase our density, and to acquire really top talent that we couldn't otherwise hire. Mm-hmm. And, and – and why is that? Well, it's M and A. You know, just organic, inorganic growth is really hard because of you know culture differences and complexities. But we we first and foremost want to grow organically. But when you combine, that's hard too. Increasingly, you know, you know, it used to be easy to hang a banner and people show up. That's less the case nowadays. So yeah. just pure organic growth strategy is tough, and an inorganic is dysfunctional. But when you combine organic to get right people and to create density in markets with inorganic, uh, I'm sorry, with organic, which is, is really, you know, focusing on, you know, really creating value and adding new clients, we, we believe that to be kind of the, you know, the gold standard. So do you still, do you still look at a little bit like the, the oil rig in the field, basically, when you, when you acquire when you acquire a business like that and you kind of merge with something like that? I mean, they've they got a field out there, right, that they're playing and that they're, they're harvesting in, right? You bring, your, you bring your tools to that field, hopefully become, you know, with, with your back office and the strength that you guys have in a lar- larger entity, you bring that to that market, it makes them stronger, makes them feel now like that company that's, you know, 10, 8, 10 times bigger than they were. And, and hopefully a, a better value to their customers. I mean, can you t- talk about a little bit of that? Yeah, so I think there's, here's what's interesting. Um, the smallest uh, partnerships, you know, generally speaking, all of our tools and our toolkit are better than theirs. So they're like, we'll just take your toolkit. Just put your rig on our, our oil. And, and so for the s- smaller opportunities, that's more the case. The bigger ones, though, some cases they have better plays in their playbook than we have. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've burned a lot of good plays. We got a great rig, but they've actually maybe figured out some ways of taking their smaller yeah. rig and doing some pretty unique things. And so, well, I, like, I come back to Huber, you know, there's things that they're doing better than we are. And so we said, like, let's, let's not be too quick to just replace your rig with ours because if your rig has certain technologies that we're missing on our bigger, let's, let's take those and plug them into our rig, right? Absolutely. You know, if you think about it in the context of playbook, you know, I, I, you know the Huber guy's like, wow, they're, they're winners. They're winning games. You know, they're, they're doing great things. They've got a great reputation. We, you know, we, we're doing great things. We're really engaged. We've got a great reputation. So let's be careful that, you know, we're going to, if you've got a better play in your playbook, we're going to rip the page out of ours and stick yours in. But the flip side, you know, I mean, you know, where we've got better plays or capabilities, we're going we're gonna to keep those. So right. the idea is to get to, you know, to take it kind of slow and, and as we're integrating, you know, bigger opportunities to say, let's get the best plays so that what we end up with is a playbook that is better than we had, better than they had. So one plus one equals three. Now, what's the beauty of that? They can go back to their clients and say, wow, I can do these extra things for you at the same fee. And we can come back and say, wow, we've gotten, you know, certain capabilities that we can enhance, you know, the experience to our clients as well. Uh, People, the same thing. Like, you know, they brought, you know, a batch of people. We brought a batch of people. And, like, we realized, wow, you know, you, this is something, in theory, like, you know, you and I overlap, but I hate doing this, and you love doing this, and you hate doing that, and I love doing that. All right, so let's, let's kind of rethink. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of the stuff that I don't enjoy that you love and vice versa. So, so that's kind of how we, we think about it. It's not, you know, we, we don't have all the best plays. You know, we don't have all the best experts. Um, We've got a vision to grow this thing 10 times in 10 years, you know, for the benefit of our clients, for the benefit of our teams and the communities. So it's really the best of, you know, how do, how do we put together, you know, the right playbook? You know, how do we make sure that the rig that we end up using, you know, across the collective oil field pumps as much gas as possible? Okay, so, so Brent, I, I, I know you, uh, your values, um, you know, when, when it comes to, Making decisions, you know, you know, and I, I know you've got a you've got a servant heart, and you're you're a guy that, that loves your Catholic faith like I do. Um, you know, how how do these things play in when you might you know you, you might be looking at you know leaders of the existing businesses that will still be there, decision makers and and relationship builders that may not have that same vision, right? They may not say vision; they may have the same values as you do, right? They maybe don't have the same faith, or they don't have any faith, right? And and so. And, and in some cases, I find out for me that 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 doesn't always matter. They they still have great core values without any faith, right? But but when they do have a, a similar similar strength and in, in, uh, in God, I I feel like they're it's the alignment's a little faster, a little easier because you can you're speaking kind of similar language. What what do you find in there, and how do you vet that, or or do you? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, once you get a firm with 200 people, you know, you, 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 know, you got to be diverse and inclusive. Diverse, yes, yes. But you don't have to negotiate on core values. That is not negotiable. And you don't have to, so there's values, but there's also vision. I mean, I've got some good friends in our business 
who I wouldn't want to be in business with because their vision is different. Like we, we put a strong value on growth because we think if you're not growing, you're dying on the vine. There's other great people that might, you know, might be the same religion or otherwise, but you know, they don't value growth. It's a lifestyle business. We don't want to be in business with them. Right. So, so I think the key thing is, 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 is having common, common values, you know, and as examples, ours is excellent. We want to be eight players in what we do. We, growth is important. So you, you, like that's not negotiable, you know, integrity, you know, we're going to be honest and put our, our clients interests first. We're going to be authentic. Right. You know, you know, those are examples of, of, of core values that, you know, we don't negotiate on. I mean, when we're talking with potential partners, we say, these are our five. You either have to agree 100%, you know, not like, well, I like those four, but I'm not sure about that. No, then we're done, right? Right? And, and then the vision. Okay, we've got to have a, a common vision of success, you know, and, and how we're going to arrive there, how we're going to achieve that. Because, you know, if we're not aligned, then it's going to be painful. You might be a great person. I might be a great person. We may share religion or not, but it's going to be painful, you know. And and um, and so I, I think that's what's most important is is not not negotiating on common values, common uh, you know vision, and, and and frankly, common philosophy. Hmm. Well, I mean, like, like I you know if. if I'm not going to try to, you know, change a person's philosophy on life, you know. So tell me about this. Then. So, so, so I, I heard uh, excellence, growth, integrity, authenticity. Is there one more? Is that the four out of the five? Yeah, th those those are the those are the big four. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do you, do you actually fire by that? I mean, if you get, do you have you know people that just aren't living one or two of those core values? You coach them. You, what do you do when they don't they, they they don't turn around? Right? Do you have to actually fire by your core values also? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, that's the one thing that's not negotiable. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you you can't. What I what I've learned is is you you can't. You, you can take smart, hardworking people that share values, that share a vision, that are committed, and teach them technical aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. But you can't take people that are not, that don't have integrity and make them have integrity. You can't yeah. take people that don't want to grow and make them grow. You can't take disrespectful people who lack humility and give them humility. You can't take people that are comfortable to be a C player and make them an A player. Yeah, our fifth, you know, value is lifetime learning. You know, listen, all we like in our business, all we got is what's between our ears. There is, I mean, yeah, we got this like computer I'm talking to and my desk, but outside of that, we've got what's between our ears. So you can't take somebody who's not committed to learning and expect that they're going to be a good advisor and keep up on top of the latest tax and right. investment matters. So, yeah, I mean, in our world, it's, you know, there's, you know, there's the five values, integrity, excellence, growth, respect, and lifetime learning. And it, it, you start with that. If you got that, great. Okay, now do we share a vision? Great. Okay. 
And, and if we do that and do we share a philosophy, great. If you have that, then it still doesn't mean the person's going to be successful in the organization. But, but that's the stuff that's priceless. Yep, absolutely. Right? You can't take somebody with a giant ego and make them respectful. Absolutely. Robbie, Robbie uh, what else you got for my buddy here, man? He's, uh, he's a wealth of information. I think we got to get him on another time later on because I – I got so much more I can dig into dig, dig, dig into my buddy here, but we only got like uh, 10, 12 more minutes left, and I want to make sure that we get 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 more out of me you want, Robbie. What, what else are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I found it interesting that there's quite a bit of overlap there between uh, the Rayban Group's culture and values aligned with Brent's here too. Uh, but I think one area that I'm particularly interested in, I just obviously coming from LinkedIn and constantly being involved in the HR landscape is, how you apply the culture and values in the hiring and onboarding process. Is, is that the basis for which you guys score uh, potential new hires or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So, you know, again, first and foremost, you know, we, we do, do different testing mechanisms um, to, to make sure that there's competencies um, you know, I think we, we've got a really robust interview process, you know, with, with multiple levels, multiple interviews. Um, for example, on the executive team, you know, we, we've, we've kind of evolved our executive team in the last uh, couple of years. And every person I brought on the executive team, you've got to come and spend 24 hours with me one-on-one -on -one at the lake. I, you know, we got to share wine. Uh, you know, we, we got to spend time because like, uh, like somebody, somebody can, you know, in the course of an hour interview, they can be on their best behavior, but you put them out, you know, in a casual situation with a bottle of wine at the lake, yeah. <laughs> you, you get, you get to learn a lot more about them. It's harder to fake it for 24 hours. Um, right. It's harder to fake it when you have multiple people doing interviews, you know, in, in different constructs, some at the office, some you know, over lunch, some at the lake, right? You know, over a bottle of wine. So, so I think it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we've got tests, yes, we've got, you know, protocols, we've got, you know, certain boxes we're wanting to check, uh, but a lot of it comes down to, if you've if you got a good team that's aligned around values and culture, it's, it's trusting them to make sure that we, you know, only pick people that are aligned and, you know, that, that, that are going to be successful, you know, in our organization, uh, yeah. which means you, you there be, there's people that maybe have great resumes and great experiences that, that aren't going to be a good fit. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I, I love, first love that you bring them up to the lake and spend a day with them. I think that's you, you, hard to find a better test than that. Uh, I think of it similar to like the waiter or waitress test during a lunch, basically just seeing how they treat someone. Uh, in a position like that and making sure that they do have the right uh, morals and value system. Uh, but I, I think kind of continuing along that line, then I'm, I'm curious when it comes to identifying whether you want to make a new hire or invest in your current staff uh, through continuous education, what sort of criteria do you look for in making that decision one way or another? And, and how do you ultimately implement that? Well, I mean, we, we, we feel it's important to uh, goo our team, grow our own, right? And, and so we, we're big advocates. As I said, our, our fifth value is lifetime learning. So we're big advocates for getting, you know, the professional designations to, you know, to learn as much as possible. Uh, you know, we, 
big budget item is, is education. And so, so we, we not only expect, but we require, you know, a, a, a lot of ongoing education. Now, having said that, you know, as you grow larger, in some cases, it's hard to purely grow your own. You know, you, 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 there's certain positions and certain times where you need somebody sooner than you can grow them into a role. And, and that's really where we've gone to the outside. And so we, we try to find a balance between, you know, developing our own team members over time, but, but also, you know, getting, you know, experienced seasoned professionals who, 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 you know, are aligned with our values, but maybe bring other experience from, um, from, from other employers. Uh, you know, it's, it's that way. It's, it's, it's not just merely homegrown. Um, yeah. I think, if you merely homegrown, you probably don't get some of the spices you need. Yeah, the soup might still taste good, but it's not going to taste best in class. The flip side is if you strictly go outside, you're going to get a hodgepodge uh, of people that maybe really don't, you know, you know that, that don't have, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to find that many people that are truly aligned from a cultural perspective. It, you know, and so I think finding that balance of, of going outside to bring unique experience and, you know, new, new spices, um, but growing and developing your own so that you can control, you know, the um, culture and, um, you know, and, 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 and encourage uh, personal development, encourage, you know, great opportunities for those people that, that have been your long-term team. I think that's, that's critical. Hey, Brian, yeah. hey Brian, a few things I got. Uh, number one, uh, what's your favorite pie? All right. What, I'll go ahead and say, what's your favorite pie, Brent? We're talking about pies a lot here, man. Like, I'm, a, I'm an apple pie guy. How about you? Oh, I say cherry pie. Although, I, any pie will do. <laughs> All right. Ne next, uh, next what, kidney pie. I'll probably pass on the kidney pie. But. Okay. Next, uh, what's your favorite quote? Uh, maybe, you know, what, what's a quote that you go by, you live by, or that, that you, um, you, know, you believe in and, and think about? One or two quotes, maybe, and, uh, and and then a favorite book that you that you really appreciate that you've read and, and uh, would read over and over again that you got a lot out of. Yeah, I mean, on the quote side, I I got to go with Ronnie Reagan, and uh, you, you know, essentially, you, you can accomplish anything you want as long as you don't care who gets credit for it. Uh, a lot of wisdom there. You look at all he got done uh, through other people. And uh, that was something I, I, I didn't appreciate early in life because I, I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders. But you can accomplish much more and have a much better life if you, you, you rely on, you know, others to accomplish a big vision. That's awesome. Yeah, if you don't care about getting the credit, man, it's, it's amazing what you can do, right? Yeah. I think on the, on the, on the book side, you mentioned it earlier, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, start with why. I think that's so critical, you know, to, to get clear around what success is and why that's success. And then you build into the how and what. And uh, if that applies whether we're, I'm dealing with an individual client and in helping them discern what their why is and then helping solve for that or whether we're working on corporate strategic goals for the year for the next three years. Absolutely. I love it. Robbie, any, any other closing questions you got for my buddy here? I uh, just one last one. And then I think we have the takeaways. So last question I have is uh, you're mentioning that uh, you, you use the oil rig analogy between the, a big rig and a small rig and being able to maximize the value for your clients. 
Uh, but on the, the flip side of that, I guess I'm curious to what extent uh, you guys focus on the competitors within the space to understand what their differentiators are versus just maximizing your strengths and uh, how you balance the two of those when it comes to growing the company. So within our industry, it's been very much a cottage industry, like literally thousands of small advisors. Now, depending on how you rank advisors, you, know, you can rank them on assets under management, number of clients, number of team, number of revenue, number you know, accounts. You know, there's lots of different metrics. Some of them are, are published. Some of them we can only kind of estimate. You know, Savant is probably, you know, out of thousands, we're, we're you know, in the top you know, 50 for sure and most likely in the top 20. Um, and so I will say historically, because it's been such a cottage industry, we've always been pretty open book, you know, pretty much, you know, share and share alike and learn from each other. You know, the, the philosophy has always been, hey, there's plenty of fish out there. It's not fish for everybody. So, so we've been pretty much open the kimono. We, you know, I founded a couple significant um, industry groups that, uh, that we've, we've shared with a lot over the years. Now, that may be changing a little bit, you know, because there is a lot of consolidation going on. There's private equity getting into our space. And so we, we are seeing that, uh, you know, emergence of mega firms, you know, very large firms. And, uh, and increasingly, they're becoming the competitors where we're, it used to be the banks and the big brokerages were our competitors. Increasingly, you know, other advisory firms and, and large advisory firms are, are, are probably becoming competitors. So I do see, yes, we, we really, um, you know, I'd say Savant has been, a, you talked about mentorship before. I've had a lot of mentors in my study groups, other people in our business, and I've learned a ton from them. I do see a trend, though, where there, there, there may be less sharing within the industry as we go forward, just because, you know, maybe some of the more successful firms that, uh, you know, you're increasingly bumping into them as we're becoming larger ourselves. So, Robbie, uh, what's your what's your takeaways, dude? I got I got a few here, but what's your give us your takeaways, man? Here, you you're uh, much more uh, attentive than I am in, in, in grabbing these. <laughs> no worries. It actually, ended up being a pretty good segue because uh, my first one was uh, in relation to his cherry pie analogy. So the my first takeaway was that it's important to create uh, enough value that the outcome is that all parties involved uh, eventually win. And that's obviously you individually, the company, as well as your client. And in, at the end of the day, you want to maximize what that output is. Uh, and I, I love the cherry pie analogy. Uh, second one here is that when it comes to founding a new team, uh, whether that's internally in an existing new world that you're looking to grow or just a, a brand new company, uh, it's important to have complementary skill sets uh, amongst that leadership team that's involved. And you mentioned, Brent, that that was the case early on for you. And then even more importantly, when you added the, the third uh, leg to the chair. And I do think that there's a lot of value to be had in that. And eventually towards the end of the conversation, you brought up diversity and inclusion. And I think it transcends all the way down into that as well. The third here is that, uh, in, in my opinion, the best way for you to ultimately retain clients, uh, as you mentioned, is to not just prescribe the right medication the first time around. Uh, but to iterate and improve upon that over time uh, and making sure that it's ultimately aligned with what your client's looking for. 
Uh, and it actually transitions uh, right into the next point, which is that in order to have the right prescription, it's important to understand what the end goal is and always reverse engineer backwards. Uh, and you want to make sure that ultimately you're solving, whether it's a challenge or in this case, maximizing the wealth of an individual, uh, what their goals are, and then just aligning on that. And it'll lead to a much more uh, consistent relationship and ultimately a positive relationship. And uh, my next point here is actually back towards the very beginning of the conversation, but you don't always need to know the answer. Uh, you just need to be confident and know how to find the answer. And I think that goes a really long way to showing how resourceful you, you ultimately can be. Uh, and that's what your clients are looking for is uh, honesty and transparency. And I almost think that they respect that more than you trying to come up with an answer on the spot that maybe you're just pulling out a left field from somewhere. Uh, and my last point here is that uh, I love the growth mindset being your fifth color on your, your business here. Uh, I absolutely believe that. At the end of the day, uh, what you said is that we have what's between our ears to live off of, and we need to make sure that we're just constantly absorbing knowledge like a sponge. I, lo I love it. I love it. That, Robbie, hold on one second there. Hold on. <laughs> okay, hey, sorry about that. I had uh, somebody come to my door here. But uh, I got to tell you, um, this is an awesome rags to riches story. And, and man, I, if I'm a young person listening to this, there's a lot, so much you can get out of it. It's incredible. Here's a guy uh, started 10 bucks an hour. And 10 bucks an hour in the, in the uh, early 90s, still not big money back then. Even back then, that was not a lot, okay? So to start at 10 bucks an hour out of college in a, in a, in a job to take a little, it took a little risk, right? To where, where Brent is today, top 1% in his industry. You know, we, we love it. We love focusing on top 1% stories, Brent, because, uh, you know, that, that gives us um, a story always that has great differentiation, um, great industry leadership, and amazing lessons to learn. And, and you're, you're an example, man, of uh, everything I love in, in, in leadership, humility, uh, family, faith, uh, you got it all, brother, and I'm proud to be your friend. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, your, your story is one that so many can learn from. And, I, and I, again, we want to get you back on because an hour or hour, whatever this is, is not a long enough to, to, <laughs> squeeze, to squeeze enough out of my buddy's head. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll get more out of you anyway on the pier. I want to talk this stuff out, you know, out in the open. So, hey, I really appreciate you, brother, and, uh, and everything you're about. And you and Sharon are amazing and raise an amazing family, and you're great friends with our girl and I. And really appreciate your friendship, brother, and thanks for being on today. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed it. Appreciate the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to hanging on the pier with you this summer. I'll be there, brother. We might, we might be six feet apart, but uh, no, no, know, no, it's no, a big pier. Baloney. That's a bunch of crap. Outside? The odds of getting it are almost zero. I was on the phone with scientists and uh, health scientists for a couple times now. It's a it's a, uh, a group of people that are trying to help build the the, the um, rules of new engagement in business that I'm part of. And these health scientists are telling are saying basically the odds are almost zero that you can catch it outside. I I won't do any more open mouth kissing with you at least until <laughs> this thing all goes by. But. But I want a hug out of my buddy every time I see you. So baloney right. on the sixth group. Uh, I'm good. With, <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for being. I really appreciate you, uh, you know coming on our, our podcast. Uh, love love it, man. So thanks for everything. And 
Until next time, I'm Ditch Digger CEO. I will see you. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Though I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man we're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man